Hello and welcome back to Kyle's Eternal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be uh, discussing the Babylon 5 Season 4 episode, Rising Star. So this is sort of one of those ultimate episodes I point to and go, this is what makes Babylon 5 amazing and what makes it unique and pretty much made it a wake-up call for science fiction in general, but also just TV uh, and the way TV shows should be told. Because this is the end of a massive arc that has really been seeded since the very beginnings of season one. And, it, you know, I brought this up last time of, you know, uh, a lot of our fiction ends with hero defeats big bad, you know, villain done with, yay, celebration, end. But, you know, removing someone from power regardless of their station or whatever will have consequences. And you, in every choice has consequences. No matter how small and insignificant, it will have ripple effects. Uh, and good fiction, good honest stories, don't stop at the hero beats the villain. They continue onwards. And look at what happens afterwards. The ripple effects of what the hero did. And so taking down the Clark regime, great, wonderful. But now we have to pick up the pieces. Now we have a divided Earth that is incredibly polarized, that has been through in a horrible, horrible ordeal, being, you know, stuck under a tyrannical rule, only to be literally the military to come in and chop that, that regime down. And this sets a dangerous precedent, and the, the civil wars are a mess. They always will be and always have been. And there's nothing that can just make this go away. Everybody, especially Sheridan, it has to answer for what they did. Look at the aftermath of hell. Just even, even a war in which there was very clearly the wrongdoers in World War Two. The Axis powers were very clearly the wrong evil people. Right? We still had a mess to clean up. It took years, even decades, to clean up the mess that was World War Two. It didn't just be swept under the rug and you know after uh you know uh victory of japan day you know none of that 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 was just the beginning that was the end of the actual fighting now the politics comes in and one could argue that that is just as messy granted less lives are probably lost but it's still just as miserable uh and this is what we have here is sheridan has to answer to the people what he did because effectively he instituted a military coup d'etat and in most circumstances that is uh, questionable uh and i know that because he's the hero of the story and we're supposed to have his back that we you know you would expect any uh you know fiction to give him a pat on the back no 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 no, no. babylon 5 doesn't do that babylon 5 is smart and he has to face the consequences of what he did because what he did will cause immeasurable difficulties down the line. But let's start with the Ivanova section. Uh, Ivanova gets one really amazing scene this episode. It's really that that really her final episode, really outside of and final scene outside of the brief little insert at the end of this episode and uh, the appearance in the series finale. Um, and her coming to terms with what Marcus did to save her is fantastic. 
you know, she, throughout her entire life, everything has been taken from her. Everyone she's ever loved has been taken from her. She has had no control over her life and its direction, and it's been miserable. And so everything she does is all about control and personal security. And that reinforces her pessimism. And that's really said, really shown when she's literally, you know, crying and saying, I couldn't move. I tried. I couldn't. And Franklin says the wrong thing in this instance and says, you know, it wasn't your fault. That's not something you say to someone like Ivanova because she's going to internalize that. She keeps internalizing. She, everything that has ever happened to her has been internalized. She couldn't help her mother. She couldn't help her father. She couldn't help Talia. What the fuck does she have left? And now she can't help Marcus. Marcus gave his life for her. What does she deserve? You know, she... Everything has been stripped away. And and, and, and her analyzing her issues with relationships, how she just kind of gave up because, you know, everything was taken from her and anybody that stayed around was hollow, not, not what, not, not, not right. You know, they, they weren't, they just didn't have that spark that everybody else had been taken from her hand. And so she just learned to live with it. And then came along Marcus. And she knew, she knew without a doubt, he would never, ever hurt her. That he would be wonderful and loyal and such a wonderful, wonderful human being to her. And she knew that. And the reason she never acted on those is because she was scared. She was scared about not having control. Because love, in general but especially relationships uh, and romantic relationships, you have to relinquish some of your control. It's a little bit of sacrifice, as one of my favorite uh, works of fiction would say, that being The Witcher. You know, to, to establish a relationship, you have to give up certain things and accept new things. And she was too frightened. She, she couldn't do it. After everything, she couldn't relinquish that control. And at the end of it, she realizes that no one will ever love her the way she's loved other people. And that that is vice versa, that she cannot love someone back as much as they loved her. You know, Marcus gave his life for her, but she really, you know, she thought he was cute, but that's about it. Like, there was no immense connection there. Uh, and then Talia, of course, uh, you know, uh, she, she she loved her, but Talia had a separate personality buried in by the psychor. So who's to say if those feelings were real? She had got no closure from that. And then the stuff with her father being estranged from him for years after the result of her mother's death and her mother, you know... Uh, lying to her and saying, you know, go Sushaska, play uh, play with your toys. And then she goes up and kills herself. You know, every time she opens her heart up to someone, it comes back to bite her. There's nothing she can do to make them love her as much as she loves them. So she comes to the conclusion, all love is unrequited. Uh, that's a great little quote. All love is unrequited, Stephen. All of it. It's an incredibly pessimistic ending. 
uh, to her arc that's been there since season one. Uh, and it's incredibly relatable because it's, it's not hard to understand how she came to that viewpoint. Um, I try and be an optimist about things, um, but it's, but it is a reasonable conclusion to come to, especially if you've lived the kind of life she lived. And it really ties into a lot of things. Um, if you read Becoming Superman, uh, which is, uh, JMS's autobiography that came out, uh, a couple years ago now, I think. Uh, a year or so ago, he came to a very similar conclusion. He's had difficulties in not only the romance department, but just general in relationships in general and dealing with other humans. And he came to that conclusion: all love is unrequited. That is a bit of him in this writing, but it also ties in to Lordian. Lordian sent it into the fire when he was talking to Ivanova, and there was that great moment where he's like, you know, uh skepticism is the you know the language of the, the mind what does your heart say Bono says me, uh, me and my heart don't speak much anymore and he goes I noticed that uh, he mentions that the greatest gift that humanity has ever received is the belief that love is eternal because only creatures with such a short lifespan could ever believe that because he has watched everything turn to ash and dust and it never lasts so Ivanova is someone who has come to understand that from such a short lifespan and has, has had it confirmed by a near immortal. You know, it's hard not to understand why she came to that. And it, it's depressing, really. And the ending um, where we're getting the recap from ISN is a bit naff. So there's an obvious insert. Uh, cause she, you know, Ivanova's on Babylon 5 in the observation deck and the camera zooming in, and it's very clearly, it's supposed to announce she's, you know, Sheridan has, uh, you know, requested she be promoted to captain and she's going to be the new commander of the station, but then it's just a random thing about, you know, her, uh, taking a warlock class destroyer of a shakedown curse. This is because Claudia Christensen did not sign her contract to be turned next season, hence why she is no longer in the show. So, uh, it was an obvious insert. You can tell it was filmed without the knowledge that she wasn't going to be there and then quickly changed. Um, otherwise, you we could have seen her on the bridge of a world-class destroyer instead of on B5, of all places. Um, and she was intended to be the new commander of the station. That was where the story was heading, and it, it's gonna it was gonna play a big part in season five's ongoing arc, uh, as originally planned, which was gonna be very different because certain characters couldn't be there, uh, in the current B five iteration. But we will get there when we get there. Uh, like I said, Ivanova's side of this episode, strong stuff. Uh, some some of the best writing, uh, in general is one of my favorite scenes. Is probably up there with like those scenes that just sort of stick in your head, uh, in and stay with you for a long time. Uh, so the sheriff inside of this bit, you know, he's having to answer for everything he's done, and this comes in two pronged ways. It comes from Bester, and then it comes from President Luchenko. Bester calls him out on his uh, morality and his use of telepaths. 
we know that he used the shadow augmented telepaths to, uh, you know, uh, take out some of Earth's defenses. And, well, Bester has an invested interest in that because Carolyn, his lover, is in, you know, one of them. And I like how Sheridan sort of bounces around Bester's question. He doesn't answered immediately, even though he knows it. It's because he wants to give Bester, a, you know, a taste of his own medicine, because normally Bester has the upper hand. And so this time he has the upper hand, and he wants to give him that sort of... let him sweat it out a little, basically. Uh, and it, it, and then Sheridan talks about his reasoning for why he did it. Uh, you know, he used these victims, these people who've been augmented and turned into weapons, who have next to no personal agency anymore and he sought out those that have no next of kin are single likely not to survive surgery uh, and sent them to their deaths because sometimes being the commander in a war means that you have to send people ordinary people out to die and you know it and that, that kind of thing is hard to do, especially in this circumstance where these people couldn't speak up for themselves. And that is a line. <laughs> that is a line that a lot of people could not cross. Sheridan did it. Uh, and he knows what he did was probably wrong. But he did it to ensure the safety of others. Does the ends justify the means? No. But in this instance, maybe. Yeah, that is a question that has no answer. Uh, do, do the ends justify the means? Because everyone will have a different answer to it, and it will be personal to them and their belief system. Sheridan is the kind of person that will outright say no to that until he can figure out a way to make it work. For him, anyway. And this was a line that even he was uncomfortable going to, but he did it anyway. Uh, and I like how... Throughout the entire time, Sheridan is, you know, n knows that Bester, you know, is, you know, has got an ace up his sleeve. That he plans to do something with the power vacuum left by the Clark regime. Uh, and but Bester knows he's untouchable at this point. Uh, he knows that nothing could be done. Uh, and uh, even when uh, Sheridan brings up Garibaldi, there's just this sly smile on Bester. Uh, that hints at some stuff that will come up next season. Uh, and speaking of Garibaldi, before I go back to uh, Sheridan and uh, President Luchenko, because I don't have much to say in the Garibaldi section, is I like how Garibaldi, you know, after everything that happened with the Psychor and everything, he goes and he helps the Mars Resistance fix his mistakes, fix it all the right up, you know, make up for his fuck-ups, and now that everything has been put right, he doesn't really care anymore. Uh, you know, this isn't a, you know, this isn't someone who was trying to take a stance. He was just trying to do what he felt was right and fix the mistakes that he caused. Now, the last thing on his agenda and the, and the only thing that matters to him is to find lease. And that's not a mistake. That is something that he deeply, deeply wants. He wants to renew that relationship and fix his mistake from before the series even began, and be with her again. So he hunts her back down, and naturally, of course, the, you know, 
her being the wife of a now dead, you know, multi-billionaire, one of the head of the corporations. She, of course, is being held hostage and he takes uh, the, the, you know, the mafia out in a very Garibaldi way at the, the uh, you know, <laughs> Bugs Bunny, uh, Looney Tunes uh, little uh, bomb, which was fun. Uh, but the only thing that really matters to him is Lise now. You know, he has fixed everything that he can, that he has control over right now, and he deserves a slice of happiness, and Lise is that slice of happiness. Whether that happiness will remain is another question entirely, but for now, having fixed the issue, uh, he deserves a bit of a break, and I don't blame him. I don't blame him one bit. Now, the other half of Sheridan's section is President Luchenko. She comes at him from the political angle, uh, saying that he was morally correct, but politically inconvenient. And this is where things get really dicey for Sheridan, because, as I mentioned before, a military coup d'etat is, you know, not necessarily the greatest look and sets a dangerous precedent for the future that any military officer can stand up to the government for whatever reason. Sheridan's reasons were just, but the next person in line may not be. And so Sheridan must get some sort of punishment for this, even though, sadly, he was right and he was the only one willing to do anything. Uh, and he even calls them out when he's like, you could have done something, you didn't. And and she pulls the classic politician answer of, you know, we, we were doing things slowly by the book. And, and he doesn't even, you know, you know, take what she's saying because what she is, she, she's basically just trying to, uh, make the situation seem like it was more dire than it was. It was already dire, but we saw, you know, from the underground on Mars and Earth, as well as, you know, uh, General Haig's group and uh, the the religious, uh, you know, practitioners who were, you know, in in a uh, member of the clergy who were smuggling out information to be fine. We saw that there was an active resistance movement and people like Lachenko or the classic politicians who basically just sat on their asses because they didn't know what to do. And apathy in times like this can be death. And that was what happened. And so Sheridan, the only one willing to give the, the complacent a kick in the ass, managed to do something that they weren't willing to do. And so they punish him for doing the right thing. And he becomes a symbol. Uh, and I like it how she talks about that politics is the game of compromise. And no matter which way she goes, it's going to end badly for Sheridan. Because half, you know, half the people want to pin a medal to you and half of you want you shot. Which by all accounts should mean that I should pin a medal to your chest and then have you taken out and shot. You know, uh, that that kind of mentality is what he's in now. You know, a post-Civil War government is a government heavily divided uh, with extremism on both sides and a bunch of, uh, you know, lesser degree on each side caught in between trying to regulate and make everyone sort of get back in line 
and come together. Uh, and that's why Sheridan in his speech says we're all children of Earth. And that, that's something that he really wants to sell is that what he did, yes, in a certain light can be seen as power grab or uh, illegal. But what he did, it, he did it for the people and he did it for the people of Earth. And no matter what side you were on, you need to come and work together because that's the only way we're going to process this. Uh, civil wars are a mess, and they only in, in post Civil War times tend to be the ugliest uh, because divisions are high, emotions are rampant. It's miserable for everyone involved, and so Sheridan takes the deal where he agrees to resign, and it is a it, it, it's a resignation that basically proves a symbol. Uh, they can't turn him into a martyr. They can't punish him because those that support him would be incredibly angry and potentially cause more issues already. So have him resign and basically make a public speech that he did the right thing, but he can't do it anymore, basically. And he becomes a symbol of the division. They can pin everything on him, much like President Clark. You know, President Clark was a figurehead. The Clark regime... Yeah, Clark was a horrible, horrible human being, and, you know, he had the help of the Shadows to bring him to power, but he wasn't, like, the full evil. He wasn't the one person. There was tons of loyalists to him, and all of them deserved to answer for their crimes. And in most post-Civil War situations, you find a linchpin and you pin everything on them. And I guarantee that's what Clark's troops are doing pinning everything on Clark and they're going to pin all the issues in regards to the, the Civil War itself to Sheridan and they're going to oust him at, uh, you know as the the symbol of division to metaphorically bring everybody together what it really will do is just make the government save face it doesn't actually do anything uh, and it, it, it's you know it's an understandable situation uh i i don't really think i would have uh an answer i don't know politics that well enough to to say what what i would do or if i was shared it what would i do but he understands the weight of what he did and he understands that he has to answer for it and he understands he's a symbol now uh, luckily for him, he had kind of figured he would have another job lined up. And this is where the Interstellar Alliance is first introduced. Um, the ISA is basically like a, uh, the modern day equivalent would be like a European Union, I guess, where there is a central government that regulates trade, economics, policies, um, and various humanitarian, uh, concepts amongst its members but each member has its own form of governments can keep its own uh you know you know a governmental form whether that be in the case of the centauri a um you know uh an imperial rule uh and basically they can make their own laws but with the approval of the greater the, the greater central government uh, and I like how basically what we're seeing is Babylon 5 has started becoming irrelevant. 
Not the show, obviously. I mean the station itself. Babylon 5 was the linchpin to begin everything. It was the, the, the center of galactic peace. Uh, you know, a you know, a dream given form. And now it has been the staging ground for multiple wars. Uh, it has been uh, the 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 center of the army of light, the the bringing of truth, the the bringing of peace, to keep the peace, not in you know not enforce the peace, you know. Uh, and now that 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 is being passed on to the interstellar alliance, which uh, has its own sort of minor military that doesn't participate in active conflict. Instead, they act more like space police, I guess, um, you know, rangers who are going through and, uh, you know, uh, they're there to ma maintain uh, peace between the member worlds, keep borders safe, uh, but will not participate in active military conflict. Um, so we, we see that the station itself, while it's going to house the ISA until more permanent uh, you know, uh, state, uh, you know, sort of headquarters can be put on Tuzanor and Minbar. It, its job has been taken over by another thing, and the, that that old station, seen this through a lot, and maybe it's time, maybe it's time for it to, you know, move on. Uh, because it's a symbol, much like Sheridan is. And that symbol has changed the, the galaxy. This is a wonderful, wonderful episode. And I love at the end, it ends on a nice comedic beat uh, with Sheridan and Delenn finally getting married. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Londo and Jakar, uh, you know, having a fun conversation and Jakar being a perv as he is wont to do since the first season. Uh, and... It's a nice way to end things out. And this would have led into the series finale, Sleeping Light, but at the last minute they got renewed for season five by TNT, moving to a different network. So uh, the first episode of season five was filmed quickly to move it into place to be uh, aired as the 22nd episode, the final episode of season four. That's Deconstructor of Falling Stars, which is a very different kind of Babylon 5 episode, and you'll see why when we get there. It has a lot of interesting uh, concepts and ideas that sort of expound upon what we saw here of that and now what question. The thing that really makes Babylon 5 one of the best and most unique uh, TV watching experiences, in my opinion, is that it's not afraid to say, and now what? And I think that's what makes this episode in particular special, is that the last episode, Endgame, is where most stories would have ended. But we still got, you know, another season to go, and even if next episode would be last, it still would have been two episodes of, and now what? Uh, so this was a really, really, really good episode, and uh, I like how all these various stories and character arcs are converging, uh, and while there is still another season, and there's plenty of setup for that, of dangling threads, it feels like, because of the crunch, this could have been a conclusion, that we could have ended out with one more episode and been done. But thankfully we got season five, so that conclusion 
can really run its course and we can really feel like everything has truly come to an end. Uh, so I shall see you next time. Until then, bye.